in Matthew chapter 9, verse 32. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He cast out demons by the prince of demons. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And he saw the crowds. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, Harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and afflictions. The name of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Thanks so much for reading, Jahal. Well, my name's Ryan, if we haven't met before. I'm uh, one of the trainees at a church uh, nearby and uh, um, help out here one day a week on a Thursday. Um, so a few years ago, I attended a youth conference and it was a real eye-opener for me uh, because of how bad it was. Uh, the organiser had organised for these big shots from the UK churches, these big, uh, big shot ministers with impressive CVs to come and speak to the youth. Uh, but it was memorably shocking because they refused to speak about the Lord Jesus. Uh, in fact, they would talk about everything from social action to environmentalism, good things, but they refused to speak about the best thing, the Lord Jesus. And then it gets worse because they, um, they blocked other people from doing that too. Some of the youth asked questions. They asked them, how are we, how are we supposed to speak uh, to people in our culture about the Lord Jesus? Uh, and they said uh, words to the effect of uh, people in our culture don't need to hear about Jesus. They don't need to hear about his judgment or his authority. They just need to hear about God's love and how our church is going carbon neutral. And maybe you've had a similar experience to me because I'm told that in this country there are some archbishops and bishops who refuse to speak clearly and faithfully about Jesus and block others from doing it too. And uh, it's not just limited to one denomination. I'm told that there are uh, a few churches as well in other denominations where the travesty, the farce of so-called Christian leaders uh, speaking falsely of the Lord Jesus or, or stopping others from speaking plainly about him. And so if the, job, if the people whose job it is to speak about Jesus won't speak, uh, then how will his kingdom grow? And perhaps closer to the office, closer to home, maybe there's uh, some conflict within the Christian network at work. Maybe there are some members who make it difficult to speak of the Lord Jesus, to speak plainly of him. 
But maybe it's not that bad in your workplace. Uh, maybe it's quite easy to speak about Jesus. But the thing is that speaking about Jesus is still not the done thing. It's at best is a bit weird. At worst, people find it offensive. And so we're in a situation where hardly anyone in the office is speaking about Jesus and his kingdom. And it's just not the done thing. <clears throat> and so the, if the office isn't buzzing with talk of the Lord Jesus and his good kingdom, then how is his kingdom going to grow? How is his kingdom going to grow? And that's actually the question that we're sort of asking by the end of chapters 8 to 9 of Matthew. Now we've seen a preview of the kingdom of heaven. We saw that last week and the weeks before. A world where the hospital beds are empty. No police or ambulance sirens in the street. Funeral homes are closed because there's no business. And that's what happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus of Nazareth came to Galilee. Uh, sins forgiven, the dead raised to life. That's what we've seen. We've seen how good Jesus' kingdom is. But we've also seen that not everyone is a fan. Some people don't want to speak about him. And it's the religious people whose job it is. See, Jesus' kingdom's come with power, but the religious elite in chapter 9, verse 3, they say, this man is blaspheming. They, have, they think evil thoughts in their hearts, and then they question him. Chapter 9, verse 11, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Chapter 9, verse 14, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And then there's the shock from last week. So it's not just the religious elite, but the people who are healed as well. So Jesus heals two blind men, and then he sternly warns them not to tell anyone. But then in chapter 9, verse 31, here's the thing. Here's what they do. Chapter 9, verse 31, Jesus told them not to speak, but they went away and spread his fame throughout all that district. So they speak out of turn. Jesus told them not to speak, and yet they go and do it anyway. But Jesus didn't want that yet. And so we've got absolute chaos on our hands here. We've got people who are refusing to speak, and then we've got people who are speaking out of turn incorrectly. It's chaos. So the question again, how is the kingdom going to grow? How will the harvest be gathered in this absolute chaos? Well, on our first point, uh, our first point there, because in the final miracle of this uh, eight to eight to nine section, the Lord takes control of the chaos. See, the people refuse to speak or they speak out of turn. And so what does Jesus do? Well, our answer is in verse 32. Let me read verse 32. As they were going away, behold, a demon oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. See, Jesus opens the mouth of the demon-oppressed man. He casts the demon out, and the mute man begins to speak. And so this is working on two levels. We've got the actual physical healing of this guy, but then also we've got the representation of Jesus opening mouths to speak rightly of him, to speak rightly of his kingdom. And we know that because not only does the formerly mute man speak, Verse 33 again. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. See, the crowd also speaks. They also 
have their mouths opened uh, to speak and to declare something incredible. Never was anything like this seen in Israel. And actually, it's worth reflecting on the significance of this for a moment, because if you read the Old Testament, Israel have seen incredible things. They see incredible miracles. But even though Israel have seen incredible things, and many of them, they say that they've never seen anything like this. And it's a statement about what era they're living in. They're living in an unprecedented era, the climax of history. The arrival of Jesus is the climax of history in Israel. And this is exactly the right interpretation of who Jesus is. He's unprecedented. He's the climax of history. And Jesus has opened people's mouths to testify about this, to speak rightly of his greatness and the greatness of his kingdom. And if we are here as Christians, we are those who have had our mouths opened as well. We've had our mouths opened to speak of the unrivaled greatness of the Lord Jesus, to testify of the greatness of his coming. Uh, Jesus has opened our mouths to speak rightly of him, to testify that he is the climax of history. Before and after, there will, there will be none like him. And that is how his kingdom is going to grow. And so our challenge today is, uh, are we speaking? Are we taking every opportunity that the Lord has given us to open our mouths and speak of him? And I've got to admit, uh, preparing this myself has been a great challenge. Uh, but it's also been a great encouragement because do we realize that Jesus is the climax of history? Do we real and do we believe in that fact and believe that we are the ones with this truth to proclaim? And so Jesus has opened our mouths to speak of him. So let's speak. Let's speak. Uh, but then even in the midst of great uh, victory, the crowds to testify about Jesus, there is shocking rejection in the very next verse, verse 34. <clears throat> but the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. And I mean, this is horrible blasphemy, horrible blasphemy to call uh, light darkness and good evil. That's horrible. Uh, but the problem is that uh, if you're an original reader of Matthew, these are the last people you'd expect to say something like this. These are respected, revered religious people. These are your Tim Kellers, your John Pipers, your Joel Cheers, angrily dismissing Jesus as a demon, as the prince of demons. <laughs> so they're blaspheming. But the problem is that these are the people with all the authority, uh, the power, the resources, they have the budget for the Christian network. They've got, they get to say what goes in the company newsletter. They decide the church programs. And the people listen to them. They're respected. They've got the uh, radio interviews on BBC4. They're the columnists in The Guardian. They're the um, online influencers. So if the people whose job it is to speak about Jesus won't speak or speak wrongly and falsely, how is his kingdom going to grow? And the second answer on point two, the Lord himself goes to work. Let me read verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. See, despite the opposition, Jesus, he plows on, he expands his kingdom. He gets his hands dirty. He does it himself. 
Uh, but then even more amazingly, uh, as he works away himself, he cares for his people. He keeps those in his kingdom safe. Verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That phrase, sheep without a shepherd, it's an Old Testament phrase. It's from uh, echoing Ezekiel 34. And in Ezekiel chapter 34, we see God's commitment to caring for his kingdom. Uh, because God himself, he sees the corrupt leadership of Israel in that time, uh, who failed to care for those in his kingdom. And it's actually really worth reading Ezekiel 34, so, which is what I'm going to do now. And if you want to, you can follow along. And that's on page 722. I'm going to read Ezekiel 34, uh, 1 to 6. The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not the shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not bound back, and the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. And doesn't that sound just like the scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day? And they've harassed the crowd and they come up to people who've just been healed by Jesus and they say, don't you realize that you've just been healed by the prince of demons? Don't you realize Satan himself has just healed you? They harass, they bully, they intimidate, they threaten. Don't say it was Jesus. Don't say it was God. It was Satan. But in Ezekiel 34, God shows us his care for his people. He is totally committed to caring for his kingdom. And he promises that he will come himself. And that's what he says in, chapter, uh, in verse 15 and 16 of Ezekiel 34, which I'll just read again. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. We're back in Matthew 9, because we see that in Jesus' day, we see the fulfillment of that of God's promise made 700, 600 years before, because in Jesus we see God's, the full extent of God's commitment to caring for his people, to coming himself, the Lord God himself, coming to be the shepherd of his people. And if you're here and you're not yet following the Lord Jesus, well, can you see just how amazing it is to be part of his kingdom? He cares for his people. Uh, but if you are a Christian, well, then what confidence we have that God will continue to grow his kingdom. He will continue to keep his people safe. He is deeply committed to his people. It might seem like God's abandoned his people to corrupt church leaders in our day, or that he's allowed our culture to shift uh, to become antagonistic to Christianity, or allowing HR policies to make it more difficult to share our faith at work. But God is our good shepherd. He will not let his kingdom shrink or fail. 
he grows he will grow it because he cares and he cares far more than we realize he cares far more about people than we could uh, but then our good shepherd as we're back in matthew 9 our good shepherd he shares a bit of a, a big problem with his disciples and this is in verse 37 <clears throat> then he said to his disciples the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few so jesus sees the world uh, as a great big harvest field, field full of people ripe to be brought into his kingdom but there are hardly any workers there are hardly any workers and that's not a surprise given what we've seen from the end of matthew 9 and so there's so many people to be brought into the kingdom, but so few to do it. And so we return one last time to the question. If there's so many to be brought into God's kingdom, but so few to do it, how will it grow? Well, this is our third point. Well, the Lord of the harvest, he sends us into his harvest field. And Jesus tells us, he tells us in verse 38, that if we pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field, then chapter 10, verse 1, he will. He immediately sends out 12 workers into the harvest field, gives them the same authority he has to expand his kingdom. And did you notice something quite cool? There's 12 disciples here named individually, just as there were 12 tribes of Israel named individually. And it's as if he's saying, you know, fine, uh, old corrupt Israel, you don't want to speak about me. You don't want to grow my kingdom. Fine. I will make a new Israel, a new 12 tribes to grow my kingdom. And I think reflecting on these verses, there's a couple of big encouragements here. Uh, the first is that kingdom growth is Jesus's work. And that's a great encouragement. It means his work, his work won't fail despite appearances in our offices, despite appearances in London, in the West. It is not all up to us. He's running the show. But then also, uh, he will send people when we ask him to. Uh, he sent people out straight away in Matthew 10, and he's been sending out people for the last 2,000 years, uh, people who helped us in this room uh, hear about the Lord Jesus. And I think sometimes uh, this verse has been used to sort of encourage people or get people to get into full-time paid church work. Uh, but that's not really what this verse is saying because Jesus is sending out ordinary, everyday workers into the harvest field. Uh, just look at how ordinary these 12 were. They were fishermen, ex-paramilitary men, a tax collector. I mean, this is a motley crew. This is not your first preference and not the first team. But, but Jesus, he used them anyway. He used them powerfully. And he's not precious about who he sends to grow his kingdom. Mm -hmm. And really, and finally, there wasn't any sort of complicated structure or organization. It was just 12 blokes sent out by Jesus. In my old work, um, we didn't have any sort of Christian network, any formal structure. So Christian Physio and I, we just met up um, before work we read the word together, and we prayed for our colleagues. And it wasn't much, uh, but the Lord had sent us into his harvest field uh, to do what little we could. And could it be that the Lord Jesus has sent you into his harvest field to start something 
in your office, no matter how small, however few show up. And so finally, in conclusion, returning to the question, how would Jesus' kingdom grow? Uh, if the people whose job it is to speak won't speak, how will it grow? Well, the answer, as we've seen from the passage, is you. If you are a Christian, the Lord Jesus has opened your mouth to speak, and he's your shepherd. He's the Lord of the harvest, and he sent you into your harvest field. And just to, to wrap up, I've got two examples of people that I know who have taken this on board and taken this seriously. I've got one of my friends from church. The Lord Jesus has opened her mouth to speak in the break room at work. At lunch, she tells her colleagues that she was at church on a Sunday and then tells them what she's learned about the Lord Jesus. Then she asks them questions about their faith and answers questions about Christianity. And she's invited a few to read the Gospels with her. And no one said yes yet. But that's okay, because the Lord has opened her mouth to speak of the Lord Jesus, and so she does. And then another guy I know, he, um, he could work from home full-time, but he's decided to spend more time in the office because he knows that the Lord has sent him into that specific harvest field as his mission field. And so why not take a bit of time over Easter uh, to think and pray with uh, church family and family and think about where has the Lord of the harvest sent you? How has he opened your mouth to speak where he's put you? Now, the Lord Jesus has opened our mouth to speak of him. So let's go out and speak. And I thought um, since it's the end of a series, um, it'd be good to pray together a little prayer that we've got at the bottom of your sheet, um, asking the Lord to help us in this great work he's given us to do. So I thought we could pray together out loud if that's okay. Heavenly Father, we praise you for giving your son, Jesus, all authority in heaven and on earth. Please continue to open our mouths to speak of him and send us out as laborers into your harvest field so that people in our offices might believe in him and enter into his good kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.